Aloha mai kako, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Moana Nui podcast. I hope you guys are enjoying the content that we have been bringing you all so far. Tonight, I am joined by a very special guest, a friend and somewhat of a mentor because he is such a Kickstarter guru, <laughs> um, Sebastian Jones. Sebastian is the president and CEO of Strip Comics. And he has some wonderful projects up his sleeve. He's done a lot of work in comics. One of my favorite characters and stories is Niobe, the art um, that I saw at his booth. I believe it was at either Baltimore or New York Comic Con. Definitely caught my eye. I'm confident tonight that he will grab your attention as we bring him on. So without further ado, let's do that. Hi, Sebastian. Hey, thanks for having me on. How are you, darling? I am doing well. How about yourself? Good, good. You know, um, taking another easy day off, you know, just cruising through life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So are you are you having to work from home or? Are you- yeah, yeah. Everything. Um, I feel like my living room, you know, is just literally like a mini nonstop comic convention. I've got comics and boxes and tables with sheets of Stranger Comics written all over it. It's just, um, it's chaos in here. It's chaos, but, you know, but here we are, you know, uh, happy to be here. Absolutely. We're all navigating this chaos together. But I'm really excited to, to have you on. So thank you for your time. I guess we'll start off with Ruining Christmas, which is your your most recent project. And this particular project is a little different than what you normally do. So tell us um, what inspired it. How did you come up with the idea? Okay. So, okay. It's still a story about elves. So we just wanted to keep, you know, always stories about elves, just different kinds of elves. I think, okay. So my uh, co-creator on Ruining Christmas, Daryl and I have very, I think probably have very different memories on how we came up with this. But I, I seem to think like, from what I remember, we were sitting outside like a Starbucks and I was probably feeling very uh, British at the time. We were like, look at these entitled people, you know, all like, mm, I'm so mm, pleased with myself. And it really grated against me. And, you know, there's all this, these thoughts of how entitled folks have become. And in this, or especially kids, kids are entitled, parents have apathy. We're in this this strange kind of uh, time where you either, or, or a wonderful combination of that, you know, celebrating pettiness and passive aggressiveness and all that kind of nonsense with, mm, I'm so, I'm so self-righteous. So anyway, and the lead characters were modeled after our two best friends that both had passed away, that these bigger than life personalities. And we kind of, there's a lot of Daryl's brainchild, so he gets a lot of the, the love and credit on this, but we kind of hit this age where we felt like the spirit of giving was taking it. And if Santa is a saint, someone that we worship, if we, like if we worship a saint or a god or an angel, we give them power. And if we've essentially given up on Santa, given up on the spirit of giving, he's essentially given up on us. And so with that, how do you solve that? So we, we had this concept of um, cheer gas, okay? These naughty list coordinators, these Christmas elves, every year they go around, they mace kids in the face with cheer gas to kind of power up the faux love meter to get Santa out of bed just enough to go around out of it, you know, and he's become a bit of a waster to go and drop the presents off. But now the cheer gas is running, running out. And the, the quick pitch is ruining Christmas is a uh, Christmas is in the toilet. And these two idiot Christmas elves get the shit beaten out of them by the rottenest kid in all the land. And they lose Santa's hat, the source of all Christmas magic. And they have to go on a buddy mission with the help of the Red Rogue, this famous elven superhero to get it back. Because what we had done is we had done a preview book with Eli's artist, amazing artist, Eli Hicks. Look out for him. We're going to be working with him on a lot more stuff. And we'd done this preview comic with him about the last kid that got a lump of coal. And this was in Austria in 1896. And he goes down and pulls, reaches into the stocking, pulls out a lump of coal, sniff, sniff. And there it is. He drops the coal with a little smudge mark on his nose. So we have Hitler. Hitler was the last bloke to get a lump of coal. And FDR goes to Santa, Santa FDR and, Hit, and Churchill, and they go, you got to knock that shit off. So we enter the nuclear age. And Santa House's elves create cheer gas as this quick fix, make you ding, make you happy to power up the love meter. So it's a very big, big universe we've been developing for 10 years. It's very wacky, very irreverent. And we wrote it. I gave it the voice of kind of like a very Guy Ritchie movie. Okay. So it's like... 
He's a fucking snowflake. I wouldn't trust him to shovel reindeer shit. And so, you know, in in the sense of, you know, the fa- family guy and South Park and all these, you know, Archer, these very irreverent kind of cartoons, animated animate series, whatever you want to call it. We wanted to do the same, but really present it with a British accent and get get a little daring with it. So so really that that literally and reflects social commentary and all those types of things is one thing without getting too deep into that, because that can almost then distract. I think people like the quick low hanging fruit distraction. And I'd rather us focus on the culture of identity and us as people and our lack of ability to listen to others and we all look very myopically and introspectively and that does breed entitlement and righteousness no matter what side of the aisle you're on and um but i bring i bring folks in with the irreverence craziness and hopefully plant a seed and um so that there should be layers hopefully within the story of absurdity yeah i love the way you did that because you know i feel like now there's a lot of division across the country and this holiday season is is usually one where we were able to get you know some happiness and, and you know some family time and it's it's a little difficult now because well you know with covid and it's you know we're being discouraged from the gatherings and you know all of those things um so i, I really like that you brought some levity you know with this project and it was um from a humorous aspect like you still deal with issues but in a very light way kind of tongue-in-cheek you know uh <laughs> Making fun of yourself, making fun of, you know, the, the differences, but in a, in a fun way. So, yeah. I think, though, I think that's kind of the, this is the moment that we're in, right? Is we, you know, it is funny because I'm the Niobe guy. You know, like um, I was saying to a friend the other day, you know, like, I like sex and sandwiches. You know, you, 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 you're a three-dimensional person. You can be, you know, you have your very spiritual uh, journey. You have your awakening. You have these types of things, too. But I think there are moments when if you can't laugh at yourself and you take yourself so seriously it's a very dangerous place to be that at what point you know you know the vein's going to pop on your forehead you need to be able and this year especially i think we need to be able to just laugh at the absurdity of 2020 and how many knocks that we've all taken in our own respective ways and then just have a little bit of empathy for the folks that might have it far worse than than than, than you do and and just you know yeah take just take a step back take yeah. a step back breathe have a bit of a giggle and then see the reality i think try try and have some empathy and see see um it really is about giving and the irony is we've always talked about this project for a long time at the company and it really is that that spirit of giving. You know, it doesn't matter. Can you give some of yourself to your to your friend, your neighbor, your enemy, whatever that is? You know, can you just you know that? So Christmas has always been the perfect kind of you know holiday to ruin, I guess. Right, right. Yeah, giving is uh, is. A very special thing, especially now when so many folks are struggling. I actually had this conversation with my coworker the other day, you know, like because it's been, you know, reduced schedule at work, there's not as many people there. So the folks who are there are kind of like under a lot of stress because right. we have to carry the load for everybody who's not there. But then at the same time, I have to step back and be like, I still have a job. Like I still have mm-hmm. a chance. I have a roof over my head. I still, you know, I can still provide for my family. So, you know, it's kind of like this balance, like of trying to handle the own, you know, the stress and pressures that we're all doing right now because it's a very different time. But then really, like you said, being empathetic and understanding that like, regardless of all that, I'm still in a very good position and I have really no complaints at all. So I, I love that, you know, you, you talked about that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, for us, you know, as a comic company, as an indie company, the majority, vast majority of our income is conventions. You know, this is our full time job, uh, me and the guys, obviously no conventions this year. Um, And also um, printing, you know, uh, things to deliver on. It, It was just such a big thing to pivot um, you know, to pivot our, our company into the realities of 2020 and also take a bit of a gamble with ruining Christmas. Like I do have a couple of people reached out and said, does that mean you're not doing Niobe anymore? Like, <laughs> you know, that, no, of, of course, we're a publishing company. I just wanted to finally put this project out, you know, and then also tackle how, because we came up, I, you know, wrote this first 
the draft a long time ago, the humor in the comedy, how dated is it and how sensitive we are now and how to to try and reach folks um, in a way that's mildly offensive, but not super, you know, I, I don't know, but just in a way that's, you know, everyone's just so very knee jerk right now and headline grabbing. And, and also, I think clout chasing for, yeah, I don't like this person if they said this. Oh, I just got five likes on that. Okay, I'm, I'm validated. You know, I, 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 I'm just too old for that shit. I am right there with you. <laughs> yeah, I, I see a lot of, um, you know, creators too that are kind of like they're doing great things. And, you know, but, you know, some, I can't remember who it was, but someone made a comment like, but I still feel like there's one or two people who are like coming at me in a negative way. And I'm just like, well, anybody who's of value is not going to be, you know, treating you in that way. Because anybody who understands the hustle will appreciate your success and will encourage and cheer on your success. The ones who like have that negative, toxic attitude are like, you know, people probably aren't really doing much and are just trying to find ways to pass their time in a non-healthy way. I, I think I think you're right. I mean, you know, it's just at the end of the day, there, there are people that are nice and there are people that are dickheads. I mean, it's just, you know, the manifestation of insecurity during a time where the external, the pressures are even more severe. And, um, and I think to, you know, look, we always put our best face on a little bit unless we're having a moan on social media so that it does create a false narrative to which does breed jealousy or insecurity with some folks that, well, he must be doing great, blah, blah, blah. And they, no one really knows, I think, the we don't know the real truth and vulnerabilities of what someone is going through. But um, but yeah, I, I might have experienced it a little bit here and there. I think James Brown said it best is, I've got mine, don't worry about his. So I've always kind of had this mentality. If I make $100 and my friend makes 10 or a thousand dollars, I still make a hundred dollars. I surely, as a friend, would want my friend to make a thousand because I love my friend. I want to succeed. I'm still making a hundred. Why difference does it make to me? So all I can do is, you know, be happy for someone that is um, doing well. Yeah, that's why I love the the indie community too because I feel like there are times you know everybody has their ups and downs, right? And and yeah. having that camaraderie, having um, that group of people that safety net that you can fall back on, like, hey guys, I'm working on this project. I'm feeling like this. This is the challenge mm-hmm. that I talk yeah. me off the edge, right? Essentially. <laughs> uh, yeah, Ab- absolutely. It's a ama- It is amazing. You know, um, there are so many good chaps and. Ladies to, uh, to, to acknowledge, you know, Dorfis, LaShawn, Dedron, David Crownson, um, you know, uh, Jason Reeves, David Walker. There's just um, there's just been some really amazing folks. And then also folks that just, um, you know, sorry if I'm Milton Davis. There's just so many people that just have been absolutely uh, wonderful, uh, wonderfully supportive of everything that, that I do and all I can do, you know, always try and reciprocate the love right back you know i'm sure there's just some people that just jumped to mind i'm spacing but is he i mean i'm always just incredibly in awe and incredibly thankful for uh, quinn mcgowan hannibal taboo how how hard these uh folks hustle Uh, tj sterling johnny quattri um it's just folks that have that literally you want them to win so much because not only are their projects really dope and their ideas are just um, unique and beautiful and, um, and special and, and uh, uh, Roya Coupe, you know, like it's just great people. And um, you know, you know how much time as a creator you're sacrificing away from your family. And I always, when people ask me what's the hardest thing and I say, um, is time spent away from my family? A, that's really difficult on me. Yeah. So I make, I better make sure that I honor the time that I'm spending away by making the best stuff I can because it's doing them a disservice if I'm not, right? But even more so, it's more difficult for them because I'm following my dream and mm-hmm. they are honoring that. So so I always think of fellow indie creators that you can see them pour their heart and soul into their projects and I just want them to win so much. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned a lot of creators that I absolutely love and adore too. And some have come on the podcast and some others I is definitely on my <laughs> long list of, of folks, but I want to stay on the, the theme of family. So um, a, another project that you do that I kind of forgot, but, but I have the book because I got it is that you also write books. So um, you have a story called I am mixed. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that one? 
Yeah, yeah, we've got um, three three kids' books in the I Am book series. We have I Am Mixed, I Am Awesome, and I Am Living in Two Homes. We, we actually were going to come out with I'm Living in Two Homes first, being so many people deal with separation and divorce or just living, you know, having kids out of wedlock, whatever the case may be. And it's such a taboo subject that people struggle talking about. So, but we, but we thought, okay, that'll be, if we come out with that first, the rest of the ones are going to get buried. So we came out with I Am Mixed first. And what we discovered was... I am mixed as a celebration of all cultures. Mm-hmm. And me being a mixed person, it was like, oh, okay, how um, triggering is that word? Is it a lot of times grandparents go, I don't like that word. My dog is mixed or I mix paint, you know. Right. And and so that can be a triggering word. And you should have called it multiracial. You should have done this. You should have done that. Um, and for me, I kind of like the term. I think it's fun and um, uh, quick, quick, and so on. And also, of course, you know, mixed didn't necessarily just mean black and white. It could be a mix of culture that maybe someone's Italian and Jewish, or someone is Asian and Mexican, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, right? You know, our lead characters happen to be biracially black and white because my co-writer had kids, and she, you know, Garcelle Beauvais. Um, is this uh, actress who most folks know her from the Jamie Foxx show. Um, She's currently on The Real. And she wanted the book to reflect her kids. And we went back and forth of, well, maybe it should be more subliminal. Um, One's uh, this this thing and one's uh, that, you know, so on. But in hindsight, I think she was right. And it created these a vision of these kids that you could kind of have your child identify with and through. And the book became... And, and also, because you understand, too, and you see that, it can be very triggering, too, for black folks. Like, what's this mix shit? There's just black kids. And and so that that's, was super sensitive and, you know, had many, many conversations. And also, you know, when you do a book like that and you're kind of one of the first, there was another book out called Mixed Me, which Tay Diggs then used the same name. Our our I Am Mixed book was the first one, I think, that was nationally distributed in that subject. And so then I would get like the odd death threat, you know, from from uh, white supremacy type people, you know. So so it was a very it was a very polarizing thing. And I think people are in on the online. They're very brave. Right. They, they, so they talk a lot of shit online. Fine. But the book did very. And, and let's be let's be honest. Everyone has a very up their own ass opinion on race. They're so they're like, I've got this shit figured out. Oh, let me tell you exactly what you're doing wrong. This is me. I've got it all figured out. I'm going to tell my kids and teach my kids whatever, no, no matter what. And I'm always like, bet you do. Shit will tell me the secret formula because I don't have any, you know, like teeth. <laughs> you know? um, but everyone likes to talk about it. It's it is that sensitive thing. And, and you get it because this country is so rooted in racism there you want and and um you know and and blood and murder and you know and so on that it's ingrained in the soil and the dna of people and a people and ancestors speak through and so on so the this you know um so you understand how raw and sensitive that book can uh, bless you can um can affect folks so that was the first one i am mixed but when people pick up the book and they read through and go oh we try and create what makes each person unique within themselves but also want to experience and enjoy and we have the beauty and enjoyment to experience another culture and go whoa that's amazing as opposed to you're this and i'm that let me create division and fear whoa you know i think we forget how in america how easy we have it like i just in the simplicity of i'm gonna order chinese food i'm going to you know listen to this song i'm going to wear this type of clothing i have so and so invented that you know all these various things um that we are allowed that we have the opportunity to um enjoy right so that that so i could go down the rabbit hole with that one but that was i am mixed then we had i am living in two homes which is ironic because everyone deals with that. You know someone or you've experienced it, a kid or a parent separating, right? Yeah. But no one has the, um, it's the most difficult conversation to have. 
as opposed to the, oh, this is my views on race. No one's like, oh, this is my view on divorce. You know, when it comes to race, it's like, well, let me tell you my experience. I'm probably the same way, you know. Let me tell you my experiences, and this is what molded me. And because it molded me, I know the truth. Blah, blah, blah. Let me tell you. No one's like, oh, I'm going through a divorce right now, and this is my opinion on, you know, how this, that, and the other happens. And, oh, my, I was a product of divorce. La, 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 la. No one, no one talks about it. It's like people sneak into the bookshop to get like, oh, I'm going through a divorce right now and this book might help. And that actually didn't do as, you know, blinding numbers, although people that pick it up are very, very, they send me wonderful messages. Um, spoke to a retail uh, friend of mine recently and um, he's like, this book has really helped, really helped me. And what we learned doing our research was kids want to talk. When you're very young, you have this like, mom, look at me, look at me, I'm doing this. Look at me, mom, I'm doing this, mom. So when parents separate, because their world is so, um, you know, selfish as a ch child or, or myopic, it's an assumption that it's because of them, right? Mom, look at me, look at me. Oh, is it because of me? And, and then you have to reinforce that it's not and then get specifics because kids don't like to deal with, the, with general so we had to give like specifics in that. And in the last book is a bit more universal. It's called I Am Awesome, which was a celebration of self, how to be brave, how to not give up, how to be a good friend. We touch a little bit on adoption, a little bit on bullying, a few key key issues, but uh, to really um, what it is just to be a, a good friend and, and a repeat the mantra, I am awesome. Um, so those are kind of the, our first three I Am book series. And and stop me if I'm rambling. By the way, I like to tan be a tangent, dude. No, you're not. You're not rambling at all. I I totally enjoyed um, learning more about the three because I only had the one. Okay. Um, but I definitely want to grab the other two now for my recent nephew because I <laughs> I think they they seem to love the books that I send and they're all indie creators, right? Like all in Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. Like those are the projects that I support, and it's just love because you can't get it anywhere else. You know, it's not a it's not a mainstream thing. It's some people look at that negatively, but I don't. I think it's unique and it's, you know, targeted towards the people who need it. So can we talk a little bit about Niobe and um, the land of Sunda and um, just like what inspired? I mean, I can see clear inspirations like it's definitely fantasy genre, um, a lot of Lord of the Rings influence. Um, I could see. So can we talk about that a little bit? When, yeah. how did, when did you start that series and how long did it take you to, you know, get running and thank you yeah we started stranger comics to protect the character niobe mainly i ran a record label for a, a few years uh, of my family and during the, after we wound that label down i was like i'm not running another company again i need a break because a record business can be a little um you know demanding so we wanted to like i'd created this world and we had this one project the untamed where niobe's first introduced after shopping it around a few, meeting a few people, some were cool, some were not, some were dreadful, um, some were more than dreadful, and some were lovely. I realized that I needed to protect the integrity of what Niobe was and who she is and, and what she represented, not just from a, excuse me, an immediate representation uh, racially or, or gender, but also the integrity of her spirit. And, you know, in a lot of companies, I would felt like we're like oh this will be a good comment to put out during black history month this will be a good headline you know and i was like i uh, hate that shit with a passion because then you're suddenly like oh you're just in a box and now you have the assumption that it is this and i'm not you're not gonna make you know, all that bullcrap so we started um stranger comics to kind of protect her but the world of asunder i think i was kind of starting to kind of it was blossoming blossoming in my uh, brain as a teenager. So 30 some years ago. And Niobe started to come to me at a, at a fairly young age, just in thought and concept of someone that I could kind of pour my uh, hopes. My, I, I think I romanticized about this Messiah type character that I could pour my hopes, my fears and my ambition and my wrath and rage onto her winged shoulders. And I think I wanted her to make this fantasy world I was creating a bit of a better place. And as I grew, she kind of grew with me. 
And then when we started to come out with the comics, it sounds very obnoxious and idealistic and naive, I guess. And a bit, you know, up my own. But I was like, oh, maybe she can work, make our world a better place, right? So that's, yeah, there she is. And that's done by uh, the artist Hyung. And Hyung is one of the lead concept designers on the video game The Last of Us. So if you guys are fans of The Last of Us, Hyung does a lot of our, co- our covers. So that that really was the... The, the goal for Niobe was to kind of, can we see the lens, can we see through her eyes and go on a journey with her to explore Asunder? And it was very important for me to make sure she, everyone knew she was the face of not just our franchise, but our company. The same way Spider-Man is for Marvel or Superman and Batman are for DC. I never liked, um, no, I didn't dislike, but it's like enough of the, well, the best friend is... You know, the best friend we've got, you know, the light-skinned chick is the best friend on the movie and, like, this kind of shit. And, oh, you've got a, you've got a, you've got one too? Okay, shit, I'll put one in my show. And I get it, but it's, you know, shout out to all the folks that work their ass off to get into the position to to um, to be seen and, and their crafts and whatnot. But I have always had um, a frustration with the powers that be to not okay, well, where is the star? Why is there not the star? Why, like if Niobe is our Luke Skywalker, you know, we didn't even realize. So I wrote Niobe Shears Life After the Untamed with um, Amanda Stenberg, who had kind of become well-known, obviously, for playing at Rue in The Hunger Games. And we didn't, and Ashley A. Woods um, did the beautiful art uh, with Daryl doing layouts. And we didn't realize we were told it was the first nationally distributed comic book with a black female author, artist, and hero. And you're like, we can't, 2015, us? You know, like, it's, uh, and, and I could be wrong, but that's what, you know, all the sources say. Obviously, there's been, incre- and the crazy thing, there's been incredible black female creators that, you know, are, are Indian, that are just amazing. Uh, you know, Lockett Productions and Danny Dixon, there's a lot of folks that come out and you're like, we, we were the, the first nationally distributed through Diamond, you know, and through other distribution channels or whatnot. Um, and, it, and I think it, it really highlights the, um, the way how corporations see certain things that, oh, if it makes, oh, this is now making money, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. Yeah. You know, um, and so, yeah, that, and I, you know, when you have a family and you try and do the right thing as well, and you're like a salmon swimming upstream and you're trying to pay the bills and it's tough and you're going against what everyone is kind of saying is the thing to do. Like people don't buy fantasy and there aren't enough girl comic readers or black readers or this out and the other. And doing, yeah, I'm doing all three, you know, and, and it needs to be done. And I think the, you know, I think you're wrong, <laughs> you know, and I, I, I believe with all of my spirit that this is meant to be. And then you see other people come along and go and you like you get messages like, oh, you inspired me. And now I'm doing this and I'm now doing that. You see other people come along also and steal your shit and that, you know, you're like, all right, well, good luck, you know. But it, but I think ultimately it's like um, rising tide and raises, you know, and um I'm, yeah, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for all the collaborators and, you know, and the fans and they've become friends, you know. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I know you you certainly um, inspired me. Um, I think a lot of indie creators probably look up to you a lot in the community because you have a, you have a strong presence, you know, at the con. There's not just one. It's, it's you know, across mm-hmm. across the convention circuit. Thank you. And it's certainly something to be proud of, for sure. I'm not sure if folks know, but some of your work is in development with HBO. Which when you when you guys did that press release, I was super excited. I was like, "Yes, I love this!" Oh, thank you. Like, I want it now. I'm like, hurry up! <laughs> <laughs> same, same. You know. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, how, it was very humbling. Honestly, the most the coolest thing was was to be able to see the the you know friends and family and fans reaction and how happy folks were for us you know we were at um one of the conventions and this family was just crying they were so happy because uh, i think they'd seen us you know they'd seen us at the conventions and see how how hard we hustle at the, sh- at the shows and i and i tell you and looking now at where we're at with covid i think in some, we didn't. Ba- we're not. Ver- I'm, I'm terrible at balancing. I think so. When we were at conventions, it's go, go, go. Ah, 
you know, and now it's, oh, we should have slowed down a bit and got more email lists. We should have done this. We should have done that, you know, because there was just this, always this frantic, frenetic energy that you want to give. Like someone's coming to your booth, they spent shitloads of money getting into a convention, parking, food. They, they've got to get their signatures from Jim Lee and whoever else and buy their, their limited edition Funkos or whatever the fuck's going on, you know. And they come to you and they're like, they're going to spend $4 to a few hundred, whatever the number is. You've got to give yourself to the folks. You've got to, you know, like it's, um, I totally believe in it. People, I think some people think like, oh, that dude's a slick salesman. And yeah, I'm, I'm okay at it. But I believe in my shit and I'm not selling insurance. I'm selling part of who I am is on, is in the, or on these pages. So the least I could do is give the person that's spending money, the time and love. So to see that reciprocated when HBO got announced is, yeah, it's really, it's really amazing. Really, really amazing. Yeah. I mean, and when, I think it was Baltimore when I, when you caught me in the aisle. Well, I was I? Into the restroom or something for my food. And, um, you know, I was telling my husband, I said, okay, that one right there, you see that? Like that art, I don't know what it is yet, but whatever it is, I, that is speaking to me and I'm going to go over there. So um, you pulled me in and, you know, you, you talked to me about Niobe and you're like, okay, but wait, if you like that, then you want, you know, you want to, <laughs> you want to know more about the universe. You got to get this. And I was like, okay, I'm down. This all sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> but um, while you're on the, while you're on, I, I mean, I do, I can sell you this right now. You know, this is a really hot one right now. And I, you know, I've got this right now, the signature set, you know, like, what do you, what do you want? I, I'm here, you know, See, <laughs> no, but it's so true. Like you have to like bring that fire and passion to people for your project because if you don't believe it, nobody else will. You know, um, yeah. and I feel like sometimes that's hard for folks because, especially like in the in the comic community, like there tends to be. I don't want to make a gross generalization, but there are a lot of introverts who tend to be like more to themselves, right? Yeah. And so being at a convention is like a total flip side, right? You have to like activate your non-existent extrovert sometimes like you have yeah. to engage with the people yeah it's I, I absolutely i mean you know it's um i mean i'm i'm i know what i'm terrible at like um like figuring out how to click a link you know i'm like the least tech savvy kind of dude um but yeah i'm lucky lucky with not being an introvert when it comes to selling at conventions but and under, but i understand appreciate have the difficulty of that because uh, I was an actor for a lot and so I was used to rejection you know if you're used to getting a lot of no's you know like you audition a lot it's like having a job interview every day and you constantly get a no until you get a yes you kind of become immune to re at least for me uh rejection I just I internalize it like oh you must be an idiot then because this is gracious you know or oh you must be having a bad day and you know whatever kind of cheat i do to get me by but i but i do know because i've had actors that have come to help me at my booths and they've struggled too with the fear and the onslaught of also so many people it's not just a sales thing it's the environment of you're surrounded by so many people and even and that can be create anxiety and and for us, my only anxiety is when I'm at cons is this is how we make our money and we have to make X by the end of the convention. You know, as an independent, I put a lot of pressure on myself and my team at conventions to make sure we uh, we go buck wild with getting our getting our sales and and have and try and also have fun with it, too. I think, too, like we kind of. Forget that, we're, we're, like we're making comic books here. We're drawing pictures and putting stories to art and, you know, and folks don't, and if you're indie too, it's like you're not selling Spider-Man. People don't know your shit. So you got to tell them, you know, the best way you can, even if you're not have the best pitch or the best whatever, I think it's like for me, and I might've mentioned this to you before is I'm quicker to support someone than I am the project. If someone I'm like, oh, that person is really believes in this and they're kind and they have you know you know they're fun or they have humility but they really believe in what they're creating and i've got a few coins i'm going to throw it to that person more than some smarmy dude or some entitled fucker who might have a kind of a, a better looking presentation or project product 
It's like, I, because also I think we are all desensitized. We watch Avengers, we see the DC stuff, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, all these various things. They're so, um, social media, you know, apps and this and that and the other, we're desensitized as folks. So as much as we're like, look at this, this is fire, this is the new shit. You know, a lot of times you're like, okay, you know, psh, 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 you know, but who are you? I'm, I'm going to support Moana because she's cool. You know, she, it could be, she'd be selling me a brick and I'd buy the brick before I buy some fucking epic looking art from some dickhead. There must be a meaning to this brick. You know, or something. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's been- I definitely get it. Like, for me, yeah, I'm the same way. It's, I mean, I'm definitely looking for a good project, but if I can appreciate the person and, you know, like the message and, and their vibe and what they're trying to do, like, yeah. yeah, I'll throw some dollars their way just because I want to see them be successful. You know, like well, you never know, like especially on Kickstarter, man, it's such a an interesting platform because like your success or failure is like on display for everyone. Right. <laughs> <laughs> traumatic. It's crazy. We do really well in our Kickstarters with Niobe and I was having a bit of a, nervous one because we took so long to deliver our last kickstarter because of covid and different printers and you know different thing we had so many different types of rewards on the last kick that it was like oh we were getting things at different times but you know we couldn't like go oh i'll send this out now this now this because of shipping costs and that that increasing in price so we were like oh my god it, and then there was a couple of mistakes you know like oh my god you know and so scramble to get hundreds of packages about hundreds and then oh we gotta get ruining christmas now we've got a two-week window to promote because otherwise you can't promote unless you've delivered on your last kick i'm like but this is not niobe and no, they might be like what the fuck is this <laughs> and i and then also um i was doing my promotions and suddenly it was like no one's responding oh my uh, my feed no one's seeing anything and like, oh, you know, because the, the whole you've got to pay for advertising. As soon as you get that thing, they, they, they've got you. And they go, oh, it's a link to Kickstarter where you make money. You know, we want to pay for their ads. And I'm like, oh, my goodness gracious. All the people I know that I send individual messages to go like, I'm glad you sent this because I never saw this on your feed. So I've had to feel like I'm doing – I've had to do a little bit of hand-to-hand you know, hand hand, um, door-to-door salesman just to just give awareness to ruining Christmas, the Kickstarter on social media. Hey, you might not know this, but this is, this is dropping soon. Oh, thanks for letting me know. Shit. Okay, cool. You know, but how many times can you do that? And also it's, it can feel a little salesy, like, all right, so what, what, what do you, what do you want? You know? And, um, that's, that's tough. That's tough. If it was a Niobe project, I know we'd be, you know, it's because you've got a built-in fan base. Like, oh, the next Niobe. Yeah, all right, I'm in, whatever, you know. So a new project, it, it scared the life out of me for a bit. Yeah, but you're killing it. I mean, you got, I think you're at like about 31,440 plus backers. I mean, that's amazing. And I know you've been hustling for those, so <laughs> not minimizing that effort at all. A little bit. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, and I'm super thankful to the backers. And I'm super thankful also to, like you said earlier, the indie community. Yeah. Like um, for supporting, uh, throwing throwing some coins down and throwing some updates to their backers. Because um, um, I always try and do it for the for the folks, and a lot of folks reciprocate, and some don't. And it's always I'm always like uh, like oh bet you didn't okay I've done that like three times for you all right cool oh yeah I I I know who's who and who's what and everything I'm good I'm all right. you know you know and then and then you you. You don't, uh, you know, I'm always kind of this this thing of like, I don't want to be, uh, I'm not a petty person. I don't believe in that shit. But you do take note. Like, you know, some of the guys with the most successful Kickstarters, uh, like shout out to Brian Polito and Felipe Cagno. They always give me love. Always. And I've always, I always give them love. And I always want them to crush it and make a million. I mean, it's just amazing to see how, how like amazing they do. And I think that's, again, that's all you can do. You know, like when pe- some people are like, oh, no, that's going to take away from mine. Like, it's not pie. And, <laughs> you know, and if and if someone does and they go, oh, I back, I was going to back yours, but now I'm going to back this instead, that's life, man. Like, yeah, y- you know, and the, but the reciprocation of friendship or community is what's, what gets paid back tenfold. 
so you know um have that have that village kind of that village vibe and that's what kickstarter is it really is to me yeah it's an amazing community and a super supportive one um I can't say enough. I mean, we've we've done a couple campaigns on there and have been successful after our first one. Like we really fell flat on our face because we didn't understand the platform. Right. Uh, but once you get it, like I mean, it's amazing because you build your audience, you bring people to the platform. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of it, it really is that. It is. It really, really is. It's just educating folks. It's like you and you know. And the tough thing is, is too, is you can have the best stuff, and unless people, I mean, it's like tree in the forest unless people know about it you're you know you're 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 stuck you know and social media is is very brutal now like when we came up i am mixed i gave that book that i didn't even realize i was like oh let me do a bit of research oh there's a lot of these communities that sell a you know like a mixed who knew like these mixed communities so i was like oh let me send a book to each person that runs these communities and they were like oh my god i've got something what thank you and they're usually mums and they did some posts and suddenly our sales went through the roof. And and that was more than at times when we had television interviews and whatnot. Like these communities were, were it was it was amazing. And then I think it was around the time Facebook was like uh, about a year or two later, they're like, fuck that. You know, you're gonna pay for arse loads of advertising. We're gonna minimize um, these types of things dramatically. And it and it really affected independents like us you know, suddenly it was like, oh, one post could equate to 10 to 50 sales on Amazon. And now one post equates to maybe one, if I'm lucky. So then there's that. And then, okay, well, you've got email lists that can go off. Does that hit now people's spam folders or promotion folders? So people don't see it. And then they're in competition. So you're literally getting pinched for how to get your amazing product out, you know, to, to folks. It's, um, it's not easy. It's really the beauty of conventions is you're just telling motherfuckers like this is my shit and you're right there, you know. <laughs> or, or, you know, and that's that's easy. That's better for me, you know. Yeah. Online is harder unless you've got a I mean, listen, I did posts two or three weeks ago and I would get like on Instagram five hundred to a thousand to fifteen hundred kind of uh likes. I the ones right now since I've been paying for a couple of ads, yeah. 80 it's reduced from like to that it's like okay how am i meant to get this to the peeps you know it's tough. Yeah. yeah social media can be super frustrating um and misleading you know like likes don't equal facts and money and all those things yeah. <laughs> we can speak about that it's, you know we go down a rabbit hole that. yeah it's a lands it's a minefield it is a minefield yes <laughs> awesome all right so let's see last question um you've you've had a lot of success um with your ip what tips do you have for creators who are um, aspiring to get their creative ip on the big big screen or on the big screen whoa okay i was like oh i've got the easy answers and they're like how do you get it on the big screen i mean i haven't got anything on the big screen yet um okay so okay no it's a great question It, it it is, I think here's the pro, here is the best advice I could give a comic creator or a book creator or someone that wants to create IP, whatever that is, is you don't create it for the screen. Mm-hmm. If you are jumping or read, jumping to the next step and hurdle, like I'm going to write this comic for the screen, you're in trouble. If yeah. you don't honor the medium that it is, honor your medium first and if you're doing comics it's already kind of got the opportunity for a cinematic look and feel because you're taking the you're you're choosing your favorite still frames essentially mentally out of your mind put on paper and 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 tell this in an edited way with that but no movie studio to me is going to pick up a comic book unless the comic is an amazing comic for the comic itself and go, this would make a great TV show or film because otherwise you're already in the wrong medium. You might as well just go right to writing a script. You might as well not even be in this, in this medium. So I would say the best thing to do is honor what you're creating for your own soul. And then you will also not get let down, you know, because you can have a thought like this as well. 
And I tell a lot of creators this, everyone wants to get on TV. And obviously, you know, it's like a lottery ticket. You want to feed your family. You want to, you know, um, you know, it's that, that big, the big money, you know, comics don't make a lot of money, but you can also look at it from an integrity standpoint to say, um, okay, I'm going to make this comic book, right? And it's mine. I feel really proud of this, of this medium and this, this finished product that people get and they enjoy, even if it's on a small scale. And I'm going to do that before anyone changes it. Anyone makes it their, their own, whether that's good or bad or whatever. So if you're at a booth or you're online or whatever, and someone comes across your comic book because they've seen a TV show or film or whatever, that's their first introduction to it. And so don't be in such a hurry to make the wrong deal or do right. or look at it the wrong way because someone might be like, oh yeah, I saw that shit and that shit sucked. I'm not gonna check that comic out. Right. You know, you, right? It's um I'm sure there's a lot of comic books that have become television shows or films yeah. that the creators aren't super thrilled with the finished product, right? I think that's probably fairly common. So so then my my one of my good friends we used to be actors uh, and he's now a big movie star <laughs> but he but he used to watch my baby when i would do my auditions and he would say um i'd be like I would, st- I would stress out and he's like okay would you write um for free just for people to enjoy your writing kind of thing the con- conception i was like yeah and he's like what the fuck are you worried about you are writing your craft and you're giving it to people and they're enjoying your thing he's like if i don't make it as an actor I'm going to go back to Texas and just do local high school plays and do local plays and things because I enjoy the craft. And I think that there might seem naive, but as you get older, it's the only thing that really keeps you going, honoring the craft and doing your best to enjoy it and um, not have the full sense of reality that what you're creating is going to become on a screen. Because how many IPs are out there? How many have them been picked up and how many of them actually got made and so enjoy the time creating your comic book that's great advice i i I totally second that i see a lot of creators you know get distracted by the shiny right like oh that'd be so cool but in reality it's just like you know uh, in children's book or regular books novels whatever it might be you know to get uh with a big publisher right it's like they see so many manuscripts scripts Um, but there's only, you know, so many that can be published. And a lot of times they want something successful because it is about the money for them, right? Like for us, it's, it's about the money. If it's not going to sell, they're not going to get it. You know, you know, they're not going to pick it up. So, um, yeah, that, and, and there it is. I mean, and then I think too, Breeze does breed pressure for things like Kickstarters. Like I'm looking at my Kickstarter and, you know, like, oh, I hope it does well numbers wise. The product is fucking i think it's amazing but i know a studio will be like all right well what did it do on the kickstarter it only made that maybe i mean maybe not but when you go to negotiate you know all these things play a role you know in each facet of an ip's uh, journey down the river you know yeah absolutely I, and i mean I feel like it's a huge accomplishment for an independent creator like yourself and like many others to do these numbers on Kickstarter with minuscule marketing budgets, right? Like people don't think about like just how much money these, like they focus on like, oh, Marvel made X millions of these dollars. Okay, but do you know how much they spent on advertising to be able to get that? And also how much we're desensitized again as a consumer if you're only used to buying Marvel and DC comic books and TV, watching TV shows and films and so on, they're paying for top tier talent. To, um, they have. So if I'm a fan and I'm like, oh, wait a minute, what? And I don't have the knowledge or the capacity for knowledge to say, why doesn't this look like this? You're competing with someone's dollar and their, also their mindset and their attention span and their awareness. So take the time to make the dopest shit you can. So folks, um, it's, it's like when you're watching a movie and you can kind of, kind of hear them talk. And then when the music comes on, it's really loud. Yeah. You're like, Oh, you shouldn't notice it. It should just be, it should just be part of the, the overall. Yeah. The landscape of just the, the complexion of the, the piece. And I think that's the same with, um, if you give someone a dope comic book, you don't want them to be like, oh, it's just great, but you know, I can tell it's indie because of the lettering. 
I can tell it is indie because, you know, of X, Y, or Z, you know. And not to say that an indie look or feel is bad, but your general populace, if they're used to this machine, you know, which is regard, you know, regarded as the top tier of, of this medium, then, um, you know, you're not doing yourself any favors when it comes to a fan coming to your booth or going online going like, why is, you know, your general consumer, why does this not look how I want, how I think my $4 will spend, you know, it's, it's, it's that. So honor, honor your medium, honor your medium, and then Hollywood can tend to find you. If you go to chasing Hollywood too, chasing, I mean, I've been a bit crazy and wild in my days and done some funny stunts and whatnot, but I, but not, you know, like that's also, I'm okay with that stuff. Not everyone is. If you also go chasing Hollywood, then it's like any relationship, like, oh, I don't want you now, or I'll get you for this. You know, you can play with my feet. You know what I mean? Like, but we're, but we're not going to kiss. You, you know, it's um, it's it's like any relationship. Don't you you chase too much, and um, they'll let you know when it comes to the time for the deal. So let them chase you. Just create your IP. Make focus on that. That's that's what you should do. And they will find you if it's if it's dope. That's amazing. Sage advice from a veteran creator here and someone who has experience um, with the Hollywood community. So I'm a veteran. I'm a veteran now. Look at me. I'm <laughs> gray bearded and whatnot. The veteran. Holy shit. Thanks. <laughs> I'm, I'm there with you. I'm there with you. <laughs> All righty. Well, um, once again, guys, please go and check out Ruining Christmas on Kickstarter. It's an amazing comic. I think you'll love it. It is for, for adults. You don't want your kids to be um, reading this um, unless you have a very twisted sense of humor. So, Seb, where can they find you on social media um, after this? Is yeah, over? just go to at Stranger Comics and hit the note. I've got to tell everyone now, hit the notifications button so you don't, <laughs> you don't miss us. But at Stranger Comics on all social media, Stranger Comics dot com um if you want the goods so yeah anything stranger comics you'll you'll find me you'll find me lurking around you know all righty guys well thank you again for tuning in to another great episode of the moana nui podcast be sure to follow us online i am at the real life moana on instagram um and you can also find me on twitter and facebook at moana mcadams and with that we will see you guys later take care be safe and be kind to one another.